Protect the Rock is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Clemson football ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The great thing about GameTime is that it is a quick and easy app to navigate. There is an easy two-tap checkout system, and there are also sports tickets, but you can also get music and theater tickets in the Clemson-Greenville area, too. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. tonight but on friday we're gonna have another team meeting and we're gonna get locked in on next year hey everyone and welcome to protect the rock the clemson podcast over at the athletic i am grace rayner the clemson beat reporter and today we are going to handle the podcast a little bit differently unfortunately our good pal nicole is dealing with a family emergency up in new jersey Um, She had a death in the family, so she was home this weekend and is not going to be on our podcast. So we are sending our thoughts up to her and are excited to have her back on our Thursday podcast, just like normal. In the meantime, though, we are going to have Mike, our producer, hop on in and host with me and and fill in for Nicole. Mike, what's up? Uh, Not much, Grace. Uh, It wasn't an exciting uh, Clemson game. Uh, this past weekend, but uh, a, a few <laughs> things to talk about, though. Did you? How much of it did you watch? I I did watch majority of them. So what I do is for the teams that I cover for uh, produce podcast for here on the Athletic, I make sure I have uh, all my teams up on at least one screen, so I can watch majority of the games. So I I got a good chunk, um, but I wasn't totally locked in. That's pretty impressive. I mean. I feel like most people probably locked out um, definitely by halftime, probably before then. Yeah, well, and I think also this is a good opportunity to to sort of talk about the things uh, some people didn't see. And I think maybe the first thing we could talk about is possibly, uh, you know, T. Higgins got banged up. Um, You know, do you know the extent of that? You know, could it be something that lingers the rest of the season? What's, uh, What's his update? Yeah, that was definitely a moment where if you're a Clemson fan or a Clemson coach, you're just kind of, you know, you your heart stops a little bit when you see him on the ground because he, he was down for what felt like several moments. Um, so my understanding, though, is that he just kind of got the breath knocked out of him and he was able to walk off on his own. Obviously, we saw him later in the night, which would suggest that it was nothing super serious. I don't think Clemson would be putting him out there, obviously, if he was not ready. Uh, but certainly a, kind of a scary moment if you are Clemson and you see your your best wide receiver laying on the ground. Now, let me ask you this. We kind of have assumed that Clemson will run the table in the regular season based off of the lack of competition in the ACC. Do you think that would help them in the college football playoff or maybe hurt them? Because they have the opportunity to maybe get some – playing time for younger guys that may help them in in you know more difficult games but it might also hurt them that you know they're not really playing any competition at all what are 
what are your thoughts on that and how does this ACC competition uh, prepare Clemson for a possible um, college football playoff? Yeah, I mean, I think there I think there's good news and bad news here. The bad news is that the ACC is probably not going to really do its part in showing Clemson a real test. I mean, I know the North Carolina game happened, but I think most people consider that more of a fluke and an outlier than anything else. Uh, but I don't think you look at the ACC and you think, oh, yeah, Clemson's like ready to go to battle because the ACC has prepped them so well. That, I think, is a little bit of the bad news. The good news is that this is how it has been every year that Clemson has been in the playoff, essentially. And I know there were some years with Florida State and Louisville where they were really competitive and you've got divisions on the line, and and certainly that prepped Clemson. But we are seeing a Clemson team that beat Alabama by 28 points in January with an ACC that was basically looking the exact same last year as this year. Now, staying on the college football playoff theme, because I think that's pretty much what's going to be the conversation surrounding this program for the rest of the season because you know as we mentioned it's almost assumed that going to run the table going to win the ACC they'll get in um then what happens after that I think is really the the talking points but um you and Nicole were talking about on the Thursday um podcast Clemson starting out in the, in the first college football rankings fifth now whether that's fair or not what the committee is doing we saw this past weekend LSU beats Alabama. We know Penn State will play uh, Ohio State, so those things will work themselves out. But do you think that Clemson came out and sort of had a point to prove, or do you think that it's a combination of Clemson just being that much better than NC State? Both, yeah. I mean, so look, the, like Clemson does this thing where, and all the Clemson fans know about this, where when they're playing for a championship, they pull out the orange bottoms and that's kind of their we're gonna we're playing for for a big game type of tradition and so they actually packed their orange pants to Raleigh and then whipped them out right after Wake Forest lost knowing that they could win the division on Saturday night knowing that they were playing for their fifth straight berth in the ACC championship so I don't think that you I don't think there's any question that Clemson knew what was on the line um, I think that certainly just if we're assessing these people as human beings, they were probably upset at the fact that they were number five. I mean, I know that they say that they don't care and to, you know, to a large extent, this does work itself out and it, and it doesn't really matter. But um, I I don't think we would blame Clemson for, for feeling maybe a little disrespected. Um, so you have all of those factors at play. But then, yeah, I mean, the other part of this equation is that NC State is just a bad team right now. I mean, this game... Grace, you had an opportunity to speak with Eric McLean uh, a little earlier. He uh, played in the 2015 National Championship for Clemson and is currently now an analyst for the ACC Network. So let's take a listen to what uh, you talked to him about. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess let's just start with this was a big, wild kind of week in college football. Uh, obviously, college football is your passion, also your job. I know you watch a lot of it. So my first question, you are the college football playoff committee. Hit me with your top four this week and why. So I think right away, uh, LSU number one, you know, obviously having the, the performance that they had this past week beating Alabama um, and just the way they did it. I know Alabama made a little bit of a comeback there at the end, but 
I don't think there was ever a doubt that that L- or LSU had full control of that game. Uh, was very dominant throughout the entire game, and really, when you look at how they did it, uh, just Joe Burrow is, is. I mean, if if he's not, you know, top of the Heisman list, I don't know who is. Jeez, he's yeah. just been playing out of his mind, and what he is doing in this new offense has has really been special. So LSU definitely number one, uh, probably the Buckeyes still number two, uh, just based off what the committee has given us, uh, and I think they had a dominant win. But they put up 70-plus points. Defense still look good. I think that Chase Young is going to be a huge deal, depending on what happens with that. Uh, I think it's a shame that the NCAA is putting their hands in, in places like this when it, uh, you know, obviously we've only heard very top-level stuff of, of the situation, but it sounds like he tried to do everything that he could to uh, right the situation. And then that, knowing that it was last year, it's just now popping up. Uh, it just seems to be a shame for me, but I, I think they're still at number two. Clemson, number three, um, and then probably Georgia just by uh, where they were at number four right now. Interesting. Okay, so first, the, the first week comes out, and, and this got talked about a lot in Clemson circles, um, yeah. but I wanted to get your thought on it too. Just It seemed like when the committee was asked, you know, okay, why is Penn State ahead of Clemson? It was strength of schedule, but why was Bama ahead of Penn State? It was the eye test. Um, so it felt like maybe a little bit of inconsistencies there. I'm curious what you made of that explanation last week. Yeah, no, I thought it was a hundred percent, uh, just the way that they did it, uh, was super inconsistent. And the fact that they seemed to use different, uh, you know, qualifications or, or judge people differently based on the team, uh, was just interesting to me heard it was eye test for one team we heard it was how dominant this team was on their schedule we heard about how it was a resume for another team so you know I think that there certainly needs to be a blanket that each team is judged by the exact same way and and they what they value how they value it and then that's how each team is ranked it it shouldn't be some random hodgepodge of oh this is what we think and this is what we used for this one team I don't think that that's very fair Uh, and you get inconsistent results that ultimately to you who you put at number four getting embarrassed uh, on national TV and now they're they're plummeting you know out of the top you know maybe even 10 so uh, I think it's very interesting to see how they did it and uh, really the logic behind all of it, it w- was just you know kind of funny to me when when you see that Alabama was more dominant than Clemson that's what we heard and what that meant was their closest game before taking this loss to LSU was a 19 point victory against Notre Dame. Clemson's closest was obviously a one-point win versus UNC. Uh, but the uh, average margin of victory, Alabama was winning by 33 points a game. Clemson was winning by 32.5. So by definition, that is correct. Alabama was more dominant. But <laughs> like we all knew, uh, you know, it, it's all going to take care of itself. Uh, if you're a Clemson fan, you have nothing to worry about now. Uh, but just like before, all you have to do is win and, uh, and you're in. Yeah, okay, so you know Dabo Sweeney very well. You played for him. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? I mean, it it kind of felt like on Twitter, Clemson fans, like the sky is falling, disrespect. But to me, Dabo was very chill this week, and I'm curious what you think he was like as someone who played for him and and would have been one of the players that would have been motivated by him, you know, had you still been on this team a little younger. 
Yeah, and I think obviously since my time with him, you know, you see what they've accomplished. Two national championships, haven't missed the playoffs since my senior year. Uh, so there's a little bit more of, uh, you know, kind of proof in the pudding, right? He, he has his way of doing things, and it's worked extremely well. Uh, so I, I think it's it's a little bit of what people say might not matter to him as much. Um, but this year, for whatever reason, it, it has seemed like he's been on the defensive side a little bit. You know, before I would just see him saying, you know, it doesn't matter what people say, we're going to do what we do. But, you know, I, I've seen some jabs here and there. And he, he's probably just sick of it, to be honest. And the, the disrespect that you have a game, a team that has the longest streak, the longest home winning streak, the longest away winning streak in the country in Clemson. And still, you know, people are, are somehow finding a way to disrespect them. Again, you know, Grace, moving forward, all this is going to change because those two teams lost. Right. Uh, but for that one, you know, however long window, that one week window, uh, you know, I, I would have just said to my guys, if, if I was him, and, and probably what he said was, hey, all we have to do is control what we can control, win every game that we're faced with, and we'll be in the playoff. That, that's absolutely fine. I'm sure that he was a little upset and probably got those guys, uh, you know, a little bit motivated. But again, in this day and age that we live in, it's not like it was a secret Clemson was ranked five. You know, all the players knew it. They, they saw everything that was going on. And uh, I'm sure he didn't spend too much time on it at all. Yeah, that's a really good point. And this is something that I've always wondered about on the journalism side of things is we hear Dabo and we hear these players saying they don't pay attention to the outside noise and they don't really care. But, like, it's impossible for them not to pay attention, right? Like, they definitely 100% know what people are saying, do they not? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, we always say that. And, and we, as a former player and, and um because you don't want that to ever be an excuse, right, as to why you were distracted or lost a game or didn't perform well. Uh, so you just throw it out there and say, well, we don't pay attention to that. But there's no doubt that everyone knows exactly what people think of them, where they stand, and uh, they pay attention to it. It's human nature at this point, and uh, you know, like I said, there's no doubt about it that they know exactly what the, what's being said about it. I think I'm with you that I think they'll move to three Four, I have no idea what's going to happen. I think Stuart Mandel even said, why not Minnesota? (laughs) Um, But what about this? Of course, now the main argument and the narrative is going to be, okay, does Alabama still get in? And if so, how? What do you think about that? Well, you know, I think the committee, if they leave Alabama in and have them at four, I think they went backwards on everything that they said the week before. Uh, I think that it'll be very interesting just to see. But like you, uh, you might have brought up, they they do have a quality SEC loss now. So Grace, that is very important and really strengthens their schedule and record. <laughs> uh, so I, I think you know to, to seriously look at it, there there's certainly a scenario where if Alabama wins out uh, and different things happen, I think LSU has to win out as well. Uh, but if uh, you know they handily beat Georgia in the SEC championship and, and Alabama sitting right there at, you know, five or six and other teams happen to lose there in front of them. I, I think there's no doubt that they can sneak in the playoff uh, similar to uh, 2017. You obviously know what it's like to be competing for a spot in the playoff and, and trying to get there. Where does Nick Saban, I mean, now obviously Nick Saban's team does not control its own destiny. And I would think that that is probably 
a pretty intimidating reality to stare down. Like how much, as a former player, if you're an Alabama player right now, are you, I don't know if panicked is the right word, but how much are you walking on eggshells knowing that this is kind of out of your hands now? Well, I think when you look at your schedule, you have Mississippi State, who's been probably below average right now. I think they're near the bottom of the West, so probably way below what they, they you know, kind of have been these last couple of years. Western Carolina, uh, and then Auburn to finish the year. So you still have that one opponent who could make some moves, uh, maybe get up a little higher in the rankings and get closer to you where that, if that's going to be the last thing the committee sees from you because you're not going to be in, in the SEC championship, you have to just absolutely destroy these last three teams. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way around it. Um, you know, your margin of victory needs to be 40 plus in these <laughs> last three and maybe more than that just to prove that, you know, LSU's that good, but you're that good as well. And, and the good thing is they didn't get blown out by LSU. They were right. able to come back and, and make it a close game. And I'm sure we'll hear arguments about, uh, you know, how Tua was, was banged up and if he was fully healthy. And maybe that's true. But at the end of the day, Alabama's defense still gave up 46 points. And uh, that is not the defense that we're used to seeing. But they're going to really have to turn it on. And, and it's going to be an eye test thing at that point because their resume uh, is just not that strong. When you look at ranked uh, wins, current teams that are ranked, they have zero. And so to have a loss on that schedule, which you know I'm not sure where it ranks or strength of record or any of that, uh, but it, it's not what it has been in years past, and it's not what it was when they snuck in without winning the, the conference championship a couple years ago. I also think it's interesting, too, that – and I wondered this heading into this game with Alabama-LSU was this argument was if, okay, well, was Tua fully healthy? But it's like now he threw for 418 yards and four touchdowns. So it's like does that – does that possibility hold any sort of legitimacy? I mean, he, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know how healthy he was, but that stat line it was not a stat line that would suggest that he was seriously hindered. Yeah, exactly. But people, again, they're, they're still going to bring it up, and it just depends on who brings it up and who talks about it to, to depend on how legitimate it becomes. But like I said, at the end of the day, Tua didn't give up a single point, uh, and his defense gave up uh, – almost half a hundred. So uh, I think at the end of the day, that was not really a factor because he still executed at a pretty high level. All right. Speaking of defense and high level, Clemson's defense has, I think people are catching up to this now. Like I think at the beginning of the year, maybe they were not getting enough credit, but I think people are understanding that this Clemson defense is consistently nasty and has been a huge part of this Clemson's team's success. Just what do you make, I guess, of the job that Brent Venables has done with so much turnover this year? I mean, what he's able to do year in and year out, especially this year, it's probably the most uh, obvious, you know, because when you leave, lose your entire defensive line, five deep, three of them that went to the, uh, you know, in the first round, and somehow you're better this year, is, uh, is it's just something that does not happen without an absolute mastermind, a mad scientist, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> he, he's just the best. That, that's plain and simple, and you see – uh, what he's able to do year in and year out with the tackles for loss, with sacks, dialing it up from any given level, uh, especially this year, knowing that Clemson has to rely on kind of their back seven sure. um, just because of the experience and leadership that they have back there, seeing a lot of them going to the, the three-man front up top, or excuse me, down low with the defensive line and, and just 
being able to bring that pressure from everywhere, I, I don't know how many defensive coordinators could completely change their scheme to match what they have better than what he has done this year. And it's just, I mean, it's absolutely special. They're in the top four in total defense. They have to be right there in sacks and tackles for loss as well. And it's just, it's what they do each and every year. And it, it, it's just special. I can't remember who it was. It might have been, it was either Kayvon Wallace or Niles Pinkney. I think it was Kayvon, was saying that he's like convinced that Venables watches close to, I think he said 14 hours of film a day. Like he thinks that Venables wakes up at 8 a.m. And when he's not on the practice field, is basically watching film nonstop on his phone, on his computer, whatever, until 10 p.m. Your thoughts? <laughs> I, I would love to, to have a camera and follow him around because I know, <laughs> I know the balance. It, it is important to, I think, every uh, coach on that staff. But, again, that, that balance is can be altered during the season. There's no doubt that he prepares probably better than anyone in the country, and it's, it's very important to him. Uh, but I think as a team – these guys do a great job of preparing it. It's, you can see it on film, guys calling out plays, guys being in the right spot, uh, and just knowing what they're looking at. Coach can watch film all, all day he wants, but he's not on that field making any tackles, making any stops at all. So I, I would give those guys a lot of credit as well. Now, I know they have to be put into a position where they can win, but at the end of the day, those guys on the field are, are the ones making the plays. But you know, I think Coach Venables, you know, he loves it. At the end of the day, that's that's his life is football. And, and when he's when he's actively coaching and watching film, you know, he wants to be the best to ever do it. Do you remember that photo of him that went semi-viral? I think it was actually against NC State, which might make this fitting, where he's like, he's on the sideline and he jumps up to fake intercept a ball. Do you remember this picture? It's like uh, where he's like literally soaring through the air. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> that is my favorite Brent Venable. Like remote control, he was doing that to control one of the players out there to get the ball. Yes. Oh my gosh! I swear, it feels like if he still, if he, like I feel like if he could, he would still be out there. Like I, every time I watch him, I think this man's about to run on the field to make a tackle at some point. He, he could probably definitely give you a uh, one goal line stand. <laughs> I need to pull Flying that picture up. To meet the running back in the hole, definitely. That's awesome. Um, all right, let's see. Clemson's big picture. What is it about, again, as someone who played for Dabo Sweeney, I mean, he talks all the time about how getting to the top of the mountain is one thing, sustaining being at the top of the mountain and the consistency portion of it is another thing. What is it about Dabo Sweeney that makes him so successful in both we're, we're now seeing both at the same time yeah I think his ability to learn and to always get better uh he's not one of those men or, or uh you know just people in, in power that think their way is the best way and it's the only way now they certainly have things that they do well that that have worked and, and maybe they're the best at this time that he's going to consistently do but I mean this staff goes out Every year, I think, the various clinics visit with different people, bring people in-house to, to discuss and learn and try to keep getting better each year. And then you even look at the off-the-field stuff with recovery, uh, certain ways to lift and, and to sleep better, hydrate, eat, all these different aspects of the game. I mean, football is such a, a smart game now. Uh, he tries to take full advantage of it. So I think any opportunity he has within the rules to make his team uh, – be the best he's going to do that and I, I think that that's something that 
a lot of people who are very successful maybe struggle with is they think that they they've done something a certain way for a certain period of time and it's always worked and that it's always going to work and that's just that's not the case everyone's getting better uh, or worse every year and, and there is no staying the same you know if you're doing that you're getting passed by by other people so I think him identifying that uh, and knowing that the best is always yet to come is really uh, one of the focal points and, and high points of, of him as a coach. Um, and how he's continually able to get the most out of his players. Sure. We asked CJ Spiller a few weeks ago, we had him on the podcast, and we asked him if he had a favorite Dabo Sweeney memory. And he told us this epic story about how essentially Dabo blew out a tire when he was coming to recruit him. You've probably heard this story. And Dabo like blew this tire out and he's on this highway and it's dark and it's 10 p.m. and there's no cell surface. And finally he gets a hold of CJ and his dad and is like, can you guys come help me change my tire? And CJ was <laughs> like, I have to play for this man now because he blew out a tire for me. So I'm curious, your best Dabo Sweeney story. Um, I don't have any that are crazy like that. Uh, <laughs> That's a pretty wild recruiting story. I, I think really the thing that sticks to me uh, are really the lessons that, that Dabo taught us. And for me, it was it was always bigger than football, right? I, I mean, at, at the time that I committed to Clemson, they were no powerhouse in football. So it's not like uh, that, that was always the ultimate goal in mind. There were a lot of different factors that played into that. Uh, and just his mentorship, his, his big picture goal for the young men that are going to be a part of his program was really what was so attractive to me in the recruiting process and just seeing sure. what he was on the verge of building. Uh, so I think one of the stories that, that he told um, when I was very young in my time at Clemson, and as we were kind of transitioning into one of those powers that be, uh, into one of these dominant programs, was just really having an appreciation for everyone's role, who, who's involved in, in the uh in the team, whether it's the janitor that, that cleans the locker room or whether it's the best player and head coach uh, on the team. But just to, to respect uh, everyone's role, to understand how important everyone's role is to the success uh, of our team. And that's something that I've been able to drag out into the uh, into the real world, into corporate America, uh, just because it, it, it's incredible, Grace, how a little bit of kindness, a little bit of respect goes such a long way uh, in everyday life that it's a shame more people don't, you know, take advantage of that. And it's just something that I think has stuck with me for a long time that I'll teach you know, my kids one day that, you know, we all have what we're supposed to do. We all have our roles and don't ever think that your role, whatever it might be, is any less important than someone else's because ultimately it's going to help us get to where uh, we want to be and achieve our ultimate goal. I love that. Our world needs more kindness. I like that. Um, all right, let's see. Two more, and then I'm gonna let you go. Um, a little bit, of, <laughs> a little bit of breaking news over the weekend. Chad Morris out in Arkansas. You and I talked about this off the air a little bit, um, but obviously this is a guy that you played for, your offensive coordinator for a little while at Clemson. Just what do you think of that decision? And I actually never covered Chad. I, I came later, so I'm curious what it was like to play for him and, and sort of what y'all's relationship was like. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously an offensive genius, a uh, guy that you know came from the high school ranks, uh, was at Tulsa, and then got the job here with Clemson. I, b- I believe 2011 was his first year, my redshirt freshman year, and, and just a dynamic play caller, a guy that could dial it up and, and 
you know, score as many points as we needed to score. No matter what the defense would do, we, we always had the mentality that we would score more. Uh, and that's just kind of the, the, uh, the mantra that he had was, was a fantastic coach. All, all the guys enjoyed playing for me were obviously recruited, uh, Deshaun Watson at a very young age and built that relationship. And, and you see kind of the pedigree and the quarterbacks that we've had come through here underneath him and what he was able to get out of those guys. Um, you know, he left for SMU, the head coaching job there, uh, 2014, right before we were about to play in, in the bowl game, and I thought the timing worked well for him. You know, we, we had plenty of time to, to kind of figure out what we were going to do and have the game plan under wraps. And, you know, that was his shot to, to go to the next level and to kind of make that progression and that step uh, and thought that that was a great thing for him. And then when he made that transition to Arkansas, it's just I wish he would have waited a little bit longer. Hindsight, looking at it, maybe he does too now. Uh, I think that that program is, is just, they're in a tough spot. And when for him to take that, uh, you know, when he did and how he did, I, I just felt that if he would have waited, there might have been a better opportunity, a better, uh, you know, opportunity at a different school for him to have more success uh, other than, you know, kind of what's going on in Arkansas. And it's just, it stinks. It's the nature of the business. Um, it really taggered as well. And, sure. and more great people. Um, they're, they're not horrible people they're not people you would ever want to wish being fired but at the end of the day in this business it's all result oriented and, and to go winless in the sec uh as his tenure there is it's just there's no way that they could keep him and i hope that he gets another opportunity sooner than later and i hope we see him at a uh, at a big time school soon but man it just when i saw that come across my phone it just it really broke my heart yeah do you think that's a situation where maybe he goes back to being just a really high level offensive coordinator I, i'm not sure how that you know how that works I, th- I think when you kind of get that uh you know being fired I, I think that's a tough thing to carry around but just to see what the next steps are and uh when you don't have great success and, and there's these you know, coaches at the at the G five level and maybe even the lower power five level that do have the great success, they kind of get moved to the top of the uh, the resume list when when other schools are looking around. So I'm not sure what his his path moving forward will be, uh, but there's no doubt that wherever he lands, he's going to impact the program very positively. Obviously, underneath the tutelage of of Dabo, but also his own you know culture that he's been able to create. It, it's it's again it's. It's obviously important what happens on the field, but he much rather develop you as a young man, and I think ultimately that'll that'll continue to take him far in life. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's see. Last but not least, you might be the bu- the most busy person that I know right now in <laughs> in in football. I mean, just tell me a little bit about what I mean. We talked about this before, but your transition to ACC Network, how our listeners can watch you, and just your favorite part about your new gig. Yeah, so, so transitioned over. I, I was working with uh, JMI Sports, Clemson Sports and Campus Marketing. We, we were kind of the uh, you know corporate sponsorship team for Clemson University and, and being able to create different opportunities for the university through sales and, and marketing with, with big corporate sponsors and partners. Uh, and then this just kind of came along when the, when the ACC Network was about to launch. You know, I was approached about joining the team and, and something really that I never would have pursued, but it pursued me. And, and it was just, uh, you know, we have a plan and God has a plan. And, and when we figure that out, it's uh, it's very interesting to see where he can take us. So I'm very thankful for that. 
Uh, it's been a great transition. Uh, my wife, Kaki, has been super, super supportive, and that piece you did on us was, was great. We're very appreciative to that. But uh, we've had a lot of fun on the network. You get to meet a ton of great people. We've been off uh, different sites a couple of times. We just got done at Duke this past weekend, and, and just really to be out and about to interact with fans uh, who watch us from different, uh, obviously, fan groups is really cool. And just to hear uh, the things that you talk about and, and are doing matter to people, and, and hopefully we're able to provide some really cool, uh, unique insight. You know, our team with having a, a coach and Mark Rick, who, who was coached for 18 years, he was with Georgia and with Miami and a, and a coordinator with, uh, you know, FSU for the long, longest time. Uh, and then EJ Manuel, a quarterback from FSU, played in the league, was, was successful there. For, so really just to have those three different vantage points uh, and viewpoints, I think it's been a lot of fun to discuss these things. Obviously, it's been a chaotic season in the ACC, but how would you <laughs> want it any other way? Uh, and I think the, the competitive nature of this conference really uh, is just amazing. It's not like we have a lot of, you know, one and six teams, two and two and seven teams. It, it's competitive football where guys are sitting around 500 and you never know any given Saturday who's going to come out on, on top for a victory. So it, it's been, uh, it's been chaotic, but it is, it has absolutely been fun. And, you know, you guys can check us out anytime. Uh, Friday night, we have the huddle normally from about 8 to 10, and then all day Saturday on the ACC network. We try to provide uh, a pregame show, and then we're halftime analysis, any fill time, uh, and then a big post game right about 10, 30, 11 o'clock Saturday night, and, and we kind of just wrap up the day of everything we saw. So it's all coming to an end. It's crazy how fast this season has come, but, man, the relationships and, and people that we have met and, and uh, over this short period of time has, has been really, really cool. And, and that's really the, the biggest part about this job, Grace, is just the people you meet and interact with because there's, there's so many great uh, humans on this planet. And luckily I've had the, uh, the great opportunity to hang out with a bunch of them this season. Well, you are certainly yourself one of the great humans on this planet. <laughs> Everyone should check out Eric on the ACC Network. You really do an awesome job. I say, I've said this before and I will say it again. I would have never ever in a million years known that you did not have prior TV experience before this job. You're just, you're so natural and so good on it. So, um, thank you so much for coming on our podcast, man. This was so awesome. I appreciate you always. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Big thank you to Eric McLean for joining us. He is always so generous with his time and, uh, just provides a really, I think, interesting, context just as someone who's an analyst and a former player obviously he played for Dabo Sweeney so just great stuff all around from Eric there that should do it for this episode of protect the rock thank you so much for listening Nicole we are thinking about you we are excited to have you back on Thursday and we will talk to you next time